0: Well, good morning, everyone. As the video said, my name is Matt. And uh, that looks really tropical, doesn't it? It was really generous of friendship to fly Kenny and I to Hawaii, so that we could shoot that. Uh, No, we actually shot it at the Arboretum, and there was a big long line of people who wanted to look at flowers that were like, are you guys gonna be done soon? Oh, what's going on? And Kenny and I kept messing up the takes, and we're like, okay, we gotta get this one. The line's getting longer. Come on, we can do it. Uh, I cannot guarantee you tropical weather over the course of this next week. I can probably guarantee you something that's opposite of that. But I can guarantee you that we're going to gather and we're going to celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection over the course of this next weekend at our Good Friday service and Easter, and we'd love to have you there with us. Today we are continuing on in our sermon series entitled Rest for Your Soul, and I just want to draw your attention. Adorableness of that sheep up there on the screen. Isn't it adorable and cute? And don't you just want to cuddle it? Absolutely. And I think that this sheep was selected for this particular sermon series because when you look at this image, it just screams rest and peace, doesn't it? And why wouldn't it? This is nap time in the sunshine in the meadow. Is there a more serene time for a sheep than nap time in the sun in the meadow? Doesn't get better than this for a sheep. But but as I think about your life, and my life, there's a lot of times where our lives and our circumstances are not nap time in the sunshine in the meadow. Amen? A lot of times. A lot of times, instead of nap time in the sunshine in the meadow, our lives are crazy. Our lives are filled with hurt and loss and hardship. Anyone? And so the question that I have is, is it possible to have peace and rest when our circumstances are not nap time in the sunshine in the meadow, but our circumstances are filled with hurt, challenge, hardship? When life is a great big bowl of crazy, can we have peace and rest at that point? In our foundational passage that we're looking at over the course of this series, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 30, Jesus says we can have rest and peace in our soul, the innermost part of who we are. And he does not connect it in any way to our circumstances. Instead, he connects it to himself and his salvation in our life. Look at that passage again with me. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is it that Jesus is offering here? He's offering rest. But not just any kind of rest. He is offering a rest For the core of who we are, the innermost place in our life, our soul. The Jews who were listening to Jesus say this would have immediately connected this with the Hebrew idea of shalom, a peace and a contentment in the inner place of who we are. Jesus says it is possible to have this kind of shalom, this kind of rest. And who is it that can have it? Who qualifies for that? He says, anyone whose soul is burdened and heavy. If anyone feels the weight in their soul of burden, the burden of sin, the burden of trying to do enough good. He says that that person who is heavy laden, that person who's laboring, that person who's burdened, that's the person who qualifies for this offer. And if you come to me, you can receive that peace and rest in your soul. And we've been looking in this sermon series at about how Jesus' salvation
1: brings a rest
0: and a peace to that innermost place in who we are. We've seen that we have rest and peace right now because we've been declared innocent in the courtroom of God. That we have rest because we're growing in our relationship with Him. That we have peace and rest because He paid the price for us. And today, we are going to see that right now, right here, we can have rest and peace in the inner core of who we are because of the eternal heavenly future that God has promised to us. And in order to see how that works, I want us to look at three verses that Paul writes in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. We read, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Paul writes about this, he has not been experiencing naptime in the meadow in his circumstances. This is not circumstantial bliss for Paul. The last few years have been hard, they've been challenging, and they've been painful for him. As a matter of fact, a few chapters after this, he writes about this. In the same book, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes. Last one, Five times they have opened up my back with their whips. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And as we read about that in the book of Acts, everyone thought he was dead. That is to the point. Of, of, uh, They thought his life was gone here. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers. (gasps) In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In this list that Paul makes, he does not even include the fact that he has gone blind to the point he cannot write his own letters. Or that he has spent several years now in prison having committed no crime. He doesn't even include those things here. Paul's life was filled with challenge and filled with hardship. And when our lives are in that place, how is it possible that we can have rest, and peace, and joy, and contentment in the innermost part of who we are? The world's answer to that is to make sure that you take all of those bad circumstances and make them good, all those hard circumstances and make them comfortable. If you can just make sure that all of your circumstances in life are on an upswing, then you can have peace and contentment and joy. But we've got all sorts of areas of our life where we face circumstances. Uh, my work, if I can just make sure my work is constantly on the upswing. And all my family relationships are constantly on the upswing and my finances are on the upswing, and my health is on the upswing, and my ministry is on the upswing, and on and on. If I can just make sure that all of my circumstances in all of the areas are comfortable instead of hard, good instead of bad, then I can experience a peace and a contentment in my life. How does that work? It doesn't work at all. Because Jesus says as long as you live in this broken, sinful, and hurting world, you will have what? What does he say in John 16? You will have troubles or tribulations. In James chapter 1, we don't read if you face trials of many kinds. We read what? When you face trials of many kinds. As long as we live in a broken world damaged by the curse of sin, we are going to experience trouble, tribulation, hurt, and pain in this life. That is our reality. And part of the reason that we can't affect all of our circumstances so that they're always on the upswing in our life is there's a lot of life circumstances you don't have control over, aren't there? Right, have you experienced that? Yeah, you have. About four years ago, our family was headed out to Montana in order to host a family reunion at a house that a guy, a friend of mine has there in the Beartooth Mountains. My wife and I had been out to his house on multiple occasions, and we were going to be hosting 24 of our family members, half coming from Minnesota, half coming from Oregon. We're going to meet there in the middle in Montana and spend a week together because my wife and I had planned the whole thing and we were the ones who set it up. We were the hosts for the week, which meant we wanted to get there early, get settled in so that we could greet everybody as they arrived. Well, as we were on our way out, about 120 miles this side of Billings, my 17-year-old son is driving and five deer run out into the freeway and they block every pathway forward. It looks like a game of Red Rover on the freeway with the deer. And my son, very much to his credit, uh, you know, the speed limit there is 80. I'm sure at 17 he was doing every bit of 80. My son, to his credit, did not jam on the brakes. He didn't swerve the car. He just said, okay, we're going through that one. Picked a deer, hit it. That deer flew a long way and died. And by the time we pulled over to the side, I got out and examined the vehicle, and it was undriveable. The front was caved in. And so we called a tow truck. Now, friends, what is 120 miles this side of Billings? Nothing. And then you add to that more nothing. And so we sat there and waited, and we waited, and we waited. And finally the tow truck got there. And the tow truck hooked up our SUV, and that is as he was hooking up our car, that's when I realized tow trucks don't have back seats. There's a driver, and there's four of us. And so we piled into the tow truck. My daughter got in, and then my wife sat on her lap. I got in, and then my 17-year-old son sat on my lap. And then we rode 120 miles (laughs) to Billings, where we arrived at the auto body shop at 2.30 in the morning. My daughter, because she's better at these things, had arranged an Uber for us to meet us there at the auto body shop at 2.30 in the morning. And this mom rolls up in her minivan to give us a ride at 2.30. I'm like, wow, what what is going on? And so she gives us a ride to a hotel where we check in and I don't know, maybe by 3.30 in the morning, we're finally getting to bed. But I need to pick up a rental at 7 a.m. and I need to walk a mile and a half in order to get to the place where the rental is. So there wasn't a lot of sleep. By the time all is said and done, we drive to the house in the mountains, and instead of being the first ones there to welcome everyone, we are the last ones there. As the host, we had arranged to pick up all the food for everyone for the week, and when we arrived, we had no food with us. And our family was a little worse for wear as we prepared to host everyone. Did my son do this to us? Why? Is it because Isaiah is not as committed as he needs to be to producing constant circumstantial upswing in our lives? Is that the problem? No, the problem is there's a lot of things that go on in life that we don't have control over. Why haven't you solved the problem in the Ukraine yet? What are you doing That family member, the family member who is so hard to be around, why haven't you fixed their personality? There's a lot of things in this world that we don't have control over, a lot of circumstances. And so we cannot bring them all into constant positive alignment in our life. Not only that, I would contend that if that is the aim, to try and experience peace and joy and rest through constant circumstantial upswing, that we will instead experience regular worry and anxiety about whether we can accomplish that. If I can only experience peace and joy and rest when all of my circumstances are comfortable and good, I will instead experience worry and anxiety about whether I can get them all there. And even in those times when I do experience those strong upswings in my circumstances, what am I going to do? I'm going to experience worry and anxiety about whether I can keep them up there. I don't want to see a downswing here. The world's way of trying to make sure that you can have peace and rest and joy in the midst of your life is to try and produce constant circumstantial upswing in your life, and it is a fool's errand. God's plan for peace and rest in your life is totally different than that. God's answer is to focus your heart and your mind entirely on the future that is to come in your eternal inheritance in heaven. That is his plan for rest and peace in the midst of whatever kinds of circumstances you're going through. That's what he says to Paul here. That's what Paul says to us, I should say. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, I'm not experiencing Discouragement. I'm not experiencing depression. I'm not experiencing worry. I'm not experiencing anxiety. Instead, I'm being renewed inside, day by day. I am experiencing the fruit that God's Spirit produces. Why? Because I am not focusing my mind and my heart on the things that are transient, on the circumstances that are around me. Instead, I am entirely focused on what is unseen, on that heavenly inheritance that is mine. When I do that, I recognize peace and rest in my life. Peace and rest for us. Paul understands that there is a windfall that is to come in his life that thoroughly overwhelms any ups and downs he experiences in his day-to-day circumstances. Paul recognizes there is a windfall that he will experience in the future that thoroughly overwhelms any circumstantial ups and downs that he's experiencing in his day-to-day life. How does that work? let Let me illustrate with my daughter's finances. She's not here this morning. I can say whatever I want about her. This will be hypothetical. Let's say that my daughter experiences some ups and downs in her finances over the course of this week. She's driving along in her car and it breaks down And she takes it in and she finds out it's gonna cost her $2,000 to get the car fixed. Ah. But then, later in the week, she's called into her manager's office and she receives a review and they say, you're doing a great job. And she's gonna receive a raise. Ah. She wants to celebrate that raise. And so she takes her dad out to the nicest restaurant that she can think of. Because of the kind of guy her dad is, He orders the most expensive thing on the manual. As a matter of fact, he orders two of them so he can have one for lunch the following day. And she goes, this guy's costing me a fortune. And she goes through the week, circumstantial ups and downs in her finances, ups and downs. And if that's all she knows are those ups and downs, she might experience a tremendous amount of ups and downs with those circumstantial changes. But let's say that my daughter also finds out this week that she has an unbelievably rich aunt and uncle. I mean billionaires rich. And this aunt and uncle has set up for her a trust that she will inherit at 25. So in just two years, she is going to inherit this trust from her aunt and uncle worth $500 million. Now you Just think about how much $500 million is that she's going to inherit in a couple of years. As she finds out about that trust, how much deep concern is she gonna have about the money she has to pay for those car repairs? How much is she even gonna be concerned about the raise she's getting? All of those financial ups and downs are no longer consequential in her life because of the amazing inheritance that is to be hers. She doesn't care if dad eats the best thing on the menu, She's just fine paying for that, because in two years, she's going to inherit $500 million. Who cares, Dad? Have at it. That that future inheritance overwhelms all of her current financial circumstances. And in that same way, Paul says, our future inheritance that is far greater than $500 million dollars totally overwhelms the circumstantial ups and downs that we experience in this life so that our life is filled with rest and peace and contentment and joy no matter what is going on around us. He says that the hardships that I have experienced, right? Now think about the hardships Paul has experienced. They stoned him and thought he was dead at one point. He's been beaten five times. They've opened up his backs with the whips. He's been in jail for years having committed. On and on. He says these are what? He calls them light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. He says, these circumstantial challenges that I face, they are like speed bumps in a parking lot compared to the Mount Everest of Glory that God has for us who follow after him. I don't believe that Paul is minimizing our hardship or our challenge. He's just trying to open our eyes to how great our eternal future is. That even the worst hardships pale by comparison to what he has for his children. He says this is the the great blessing that is ours in Jesus. What a blessing it is. First Peter one, three through five talks about this blessing that's ours and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He's caused us to be born again into a living what? A hope. A hope that changes all of our life right here, right now. It's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You guys have a living hope in you right now that brings about peace and rest and contentment and joy. And where does that living hope come from? It comes from this amazing heavenly inheritance that is yours. And he uses three words to describe that inheritance. The first is imperishable. Everything in this world is perishing been trying the last couple of weeks to get back into the gym and work out a little more. You guys, I'm so sore. It didn't work like this at 18. What is going on? I'm perishing. You guys are like, I'm not going to say that about you. No, no, you're perishing too. We are all perishing. Everything around us is perishing. That is life in this world. God says, You've got an inheritance coming in which there is no perishing. No more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, he says. In which everything is eternal and forever and good. No more perishing. What's the second word? Undefiled. You guys, as I think back through my life, it doesn't take very long for my mind to rest on images of tainted thoughts actions in my life. You know how much I wish I had those back? It doesn't take very long to look around at other people and see how tainted interactions are. To look around at our world and see how broken and corrupt it is. And Jesus tells us that when we enter into his kingdom, we experience a heavenly inheritance that will be undefiled, totally pure, totally free from all of those contaminations filled with love and generosity and truth in which every interaction is a blessing and it is unfading. Every great thing that we experience in this life fades on us. When you buy that kid, that toy that they have to have to be fulfilled in life, right, how long does that joy last? There's a lot of joy right at the beginning. And a week later, they can't find it. And they've already brought you a picture of the next toy they can't live without. You ever had somebody bring you out to their brand new car? To Smell that new car smell? Three years later, they're not bringing you out to their brand new car anymore, right? Three years later, they're online looking at what the next brand new car might be because it doesn't last. The joy doesn't last in this life of the great things that we experience. It fades. God says in heaven that will never be the case. The joy and the peace and the contentment and the rest that you experience in joy in heaven will never fade. As C.S. Lewis says in his children's novels, it will go on forever and each day will be better than the day before. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, is the blessed inheritance that is ours. And when we recognize that heavenly inheritance and focus our minds and our hearts there on what is unseen, it produces rest and peace in our life, no matter what kinds of circumstances are going on around us. Who is it that can experience this? Who is it that can experience the the rest and the peace that Jesus promises you guys? Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, back to the theme verse, and I will give you rest. Who gets rest? The people who come to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is it that finds rest for their souls? Those who take Jesus' yoke upon them. Experiencing the rest and the peace, the shalom that Jesus brings, is about taking Jesus' yoke upon you. What in the world is a yoke? Well, you can see I have a prop behind me. I'm moving back slowly towards the prop. All right. This is a yoke. All right, what is a yoke? yoke was the device that you would hook two mules or two oxen to so that they might pull your plow in this agricultural society. There were single yokes that you might put over a, a single oxen to pull, your, uh, to pull your plow, but more common were the double yoke that was used so that you could bring two oxen together and multiply your efforts as they pulled that plow through the ground. Jesus says here that in order for you to experience the rest for your soul that he has for you, you need to come under his yoke. Now, i got to tell you, when I first read this passage years ago, I totally misunderstood what Jesus was saying here. What I thought he was saying here is that, Matt, you have this really heavy burden that you're pulling through life. It is a burden of Your dreams and your desires for your life, it is a heavy burden. You've got dreams and desires related to what kind of house you're going to live in, what kind of car you're going to drive. But you also have dreams and desires that you've grown up with and have been formed by the world about who you're going to marry, what people are going to think of you, what kind of job you're going to have what kind of interactions will be a part of your day, and on and on. We have all of these dreams and desires as we are growing up in this world. And to take those dreams and desires and to pull them to fulfillment and fruition is heavy. Have you experienced that? All those dreams and desires I have had growing up, to try and bring those to fruition, that is a heavy burden. And what I thought this passage was saying is, if I will come to Jesus, He will slip in on the other side of my yoke and he will help me pull those dreams and desires that I have so that they will all be fulfilled. Uh, That that kind of view of Jesus where he jumps in in order to try and make all of my dreams and desires come true is what I often have referred to in here as a Red Bull Jesus. Have you ever had Red Bull? I was kind of late to the Red Bull game maybe about... Six years ago, I tried my first one, and it tasted so awful. I almost spit it out. All I could think of was, why would anyone drink this? And the answer, people drink it because they have certain things they want to accomplish over the course of their day. They feel like they are running out of energy, and so they drink a Red Bull, and it gives them a boost to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And sometimes there's a temptation to approach Jesus like that. Jesus, I am under this side of my yoke, and I am pulling towards my dreams and my desires, but it's such a heavy load, and so, Red Bull Jesus, won't you come and join me under here and help me pull my yoke to my dreams and my desires? Come on, Red Bull Jesus. Can't you help me get this? One? But that's not what the passage says at all. We don't experience rest and peace because Red Bull Jesus comes and helps us pull our our dreams and our desires to fruition. Instead, what does the passage say? I need to come to Jesus, and I need to take off the yoke of my dreams and my desires because you can't wear two yokes. And so I take off that yoke of my dreams and my desires and I put on his yoke filled with his dreams and his desires for my life. I don't ask him to come under my lordship and help me get things done that I want to get done. I come under his lordship and submit my life fully to him. And when I do that and say, God, my life, my life is yours and it's about your name Your kingdom and your will, not about my name and my kingdom and my will any longer. I take off the yoke of Matt's dreams and desires. I put on the yoke of Jesus' dreams and desires. Jesus says, That yoke, that yoke is light. That yoke is kind, the word means. That yoke is good. Jesus' yoke, when we submit to it, is filled with goodness. Now, if I am trying to pull my yoke towards the fulfillment of my dreams and desires and just use Jesus in the process, that is going to make this burden even heavier because Jesus has no desire whatsoever to help us pull our yoke where we want it to go. No desire to help with that. He has every desire for you to take your yoke off and to come under his yoke. And when we do that, we experience a newness of life that is filled with goodness and kindness and lightness. Jesus says, come under my yoke. It is those who come under the yoke of Jesus who experience rest for their souls, who experience shalom or peace in the inner core of who they are. Let me just invite all of us right now to take a moment and bow our heads. And think about what yoke we are under. Where are we pulling in our life? What is our aim? Friends, would you just take a minute a minute, and give Jesus thanks for what he's done so that you might have that forever life with him, so that you might come under his yoke, that In a moment, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And as we do, I want us to keep in our minds what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection that makes our participation in this forever life, this eternal inheritance possible. Keep in mind what he has done and what he has given so that we might experience the of life under him. In just a moment we're going to start singing praises to Jesus again and as we do, I'll encourage you when you're ready to get up and make your way over to the tables and take the bread and the cup and bring it back to your chair and we will all take it together in just a moment.